Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, the mm-hmm. Sun Belt. Yeah, that's right. The Sun Belt is the new best conference in America. I think pretty, I mean, pretty undebatable at this point after what we saw on Saturday. And I'm gets stunned by App State. Georgia Southern takes down Nebraska. And friend of the show, Charles Huff, little round of applause, Charles Huff. Oh, he yes. leads Marshall into South Bend and takes down Notre Dame. And Texas, who looked more like a Sunbelt team than a Power 5 team in the last decade, <laughs> nearly knocked off Bama. So Sunbelt had a huge, huge Saturday, a wild week, too, it was, man. We got a lot to get to. We got a lot to get to today. It was tough to figure out where to start because I feel like you could have started in probably four different places in the SEC after um, a very telling week two. It was not, it did not go nearly as as well as I expected for so many teams across the conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, if you look at other Pac 12, there's nothing against the SEC. You look at other Sunbelt, there's nothing against the SEC. <laughs> Pretty clear to see that. Uh, but start looking at the Sunbelt as a power five. If you'll put them in kind of that honorary mentioned category. I'm just saying, if the ACC is going to uphold that grant of rights deal through 2036, you know, just give. Give a few Sunbelt teams a call because they mm-hmm. can clearly handle themselves in these big time venues and don't mind collecting $1.5 million to just roll over a, a, a premier, a, consider what would, we would be considering a premier program. Um, you know, I think I've gotten our whole inflation problem figured out. I think it's just Texas A&M. I think if they could just stop spending money, <laughs> I think we'd be in a totally different spot. Because you look at the Jimbo contract, you look at all this money they're spending across the board and the return on investment they're getting. It might. It feels like they're laundering it a bit, doesn't it? It, it might. It, it absolutely might. A&M reminded us all that money doesn't buy everything. It just, it just doesn't. Let's start right there. Have to. Uh, App State going into Texas A&M, stunning a, a team that was overrated coming into the season and has clearly not figured things out two weeks into the season, even though they played against Sam Houston and App State at home. And the schedule is about to get a whole lot more difficult. Rest in peace, Desmond Howard's national champs. Uh, it was a rough day for the Desmond Howard final four. Three losses in that final four. That's what happened because Pitt lost and Baylor lost. It was a great game, though. the Baylor-BYU game, double overtime game. Um Really fun game out in Provo that I, of course, was flipping on in the midst of putting together all these notes and watching the Mississippi State game as well. Um, don't you know it? The Aggies were not the number six team in college football. They weren't. <laughs> Who would have predicted this, Connor? Jimbo Fisher, man. Three-score favorite at home against one of the better group of five teams. App State is not who it was in 2007. We can, we can all agree on that. But that is what you deliver? Just absolutely awful. AM got punched in the mouth by Sean Clark's team. By the way, Sean Clark makes about 120th of Jimbo Fisher's salary. We got some more numbers for you. Fisher has 56 guys combined who are rated as four or five stars on that roster. App State, one. Uno. That's it. I don't think the guy even played too. He's like a, a receiver who I couldn't I couldn't find in, in the box score or anything mm-hmm. like that. You wouldn't have known it watching that game, though. And that's the sad thing. AM's defense couldn't get off the field late, and it looked very much like a group that had so much youth up front that could not impose their will at the line of scrimmage. But even if the Aggies did get off the field, let's just say they got a short field. Did you have any faith that they would be able to figure things out offensively? Because I sure as heck did not. Never. Zero times have I thought about Texas a other than when Zach Calzada was playing Bama. If you take that game out. <laughs> it looks like Zach Calzada is still playing quarterback. 
It does. <laughs> and, and I was I was one of these people last year saying Haynes King can be the ultimate X factor in the SEC. Mm-hmm. But their offensive identity is nowhere to be found. I think their offensive identity is some version of Haynes King nervously backpedaling to throw to a receiver in traffic combined with handing the ball off to Devon Achain in hopes that he breaks an 80-yard touchdown. Mm-hmm. That's it. AF had nine first downs. Nine. How, how, they didn't hit 100 passing yards. How, do, how does that happen? That, that team just let up 60-plus to UNC, and you didn't hit 100 passing yards? You can't tell me that this was just, oh, we had a too vanilla of a game plan. We didn't want to show anything ahead of the Miami game. Bullcrap, man. You had all the reason in the world to come out ready to go. You had all week hearing about how embarrassed you were against Sam Houston and about how bad this offense was. And instead, you came out and looked like a team that did not care to be there. Max Johnson warmed up in this football game. Didn't didn't come into the game, though. I was going to say, and then what happened? <laughs> we talk about Jimbo's troubleshooting issues ad nauseum. We do. Because it's instances like this. And this was a, a bit of an outlier. If you actually look back at the teams that he's lost to since he's been at AM, you could say that they haven't beat the elite competition. You could point out the fact that they have as many top 25 wins or top five wins, rather, since 1999 as South Carolina. You could point all of those things out, but they don't usually do this. Right. This was their first time losing. They kept saying on the broadcast, it was like their first time losing to a non-conference foe at Kyle Field since uh, 2010, with the exception of the Clemson game. That's the only time that they have lost a a non-conference game at at Kyle Field since 2010, which credit to App State because they showed up ready to go. And Chase Bryce, who is like we said, has been in college since the Clinton administration, Mm-hmm. Uh, played he outplayed Haynes King. He did, and why Haynes King was able to stay in that entire game, I do not know. Um, Jimbo said afterwards that Max Johnson would have come into the game if they had gotten more possessions in the second half. If there were just six quarters, Jimbo Fisher would have would have had this one figured out, guys. You can't no tell me. You can't tell me that this entire battle in the off season is so close. And that it's neck and neck and it's back and forth. And then in an instance like that, in which your offense blows chunks, you have Max Johnson sitting there on the sideline warming up, saying, I'm ready to go. Coach, put me in. I got a year, yeah, we'll call it a year plus of SEC experience. Mm -hmm. The guy that you got out there right now, QB1, he ain't it. He's not it. I can give you a chance to win this game. And instead, the most that we saw of Max Johnson in this game was chatting up Chase Bryce afterwards. That, that yeah. can't happen. That's on Jimbo Fisher. If you really didn't feel like Max Johnson was up to snuff in your offense as a third-year guy, even though he got the entire offseason being able to figure out your scheme, if you didn't feel like him, that's on you. Why they can't scheme receivers open is maddening. And it's not just the inexperience of the position which we voice those concerns in the offseason. It's Anaya Smith and everyone else. And I know everybody's so excited about Evan Stewart. But in, you see in these moments like this, you don't want to be relying on a true freshman. He had a fumble in the game as well. And look, mm-hmm. he's an incredibly talented player, but this is the good and the bad that comes with that. I just felt I felt bad for AM fans. I, I I legitimately did. I they deserve better. Um, if you're an administration and you sign up for a deal like that, you're told that losses like that are in the rearview mirror. When you mm-hmm. spend $95 million guaranteed on a head coach, just on this contract, we're not even factoring the 10-year 75 million guaranteed. You assume that when you cut an additional $1.5 million check to a team like App State, your coach can take care of business. You might have a, a slow start. Okay. These, these are 18 and 22 year old kids. You would hope that over the course of a 60 minute football game, 
at home as the number six team in the country, allegedly, according to some, not according to all, according to some. Not yeah. I, we got to find these shadow voters that were putting them at six because oh, we were I, saying. I know, oh. I know who they are. I know who all <laughs> of them are. Hey, look, I love Tag Josh Pate to death. I love Josh Pate to death. Dead wrong. I I like R.J. Young. Dead wrong. Desmond Howard. They're one of those teams that like maybe like living outside of the echo chamber was good for me because I was just like, what do you guys like? What do you guys like about this team? What about this team appeals to you? I was like. I, I tweeted about Nia Smith, and it's like he's good. But then what? <laughs> I t- I tweeted out. I said, okay, if you are still one of these people who's a believer in AM, and this was in the midst of that game. This was before they even lost. And I'm still at this point. I think it was like third quarter or something like that. I'm still thinking mm-hmm. that AM is going to come back and win the game. I I wanted to know what people are seeing that I'm not. Right. I I just don't get it. If they had these the same offensive line that they had in 2020, different story. Right. They don't. If they had the same defensive line that they had last year, different story. They don't. They can't get pressure. And unless they blitz Antonio Johnson, my guy, I'll bang the drum team, mm-hmm. they can't find ways to get to the quarterback and get them off schedule. And it's not, you know, you put it on the defense and it's tough. They were out there. I don't really put that as much in the defense because when your offense gets nine first downs, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you're expected to, to, stay, to stay in the field that entire time. That's a lot to ask. This is more about Jimbo Fisher not being able to troubleshoot and not figuring out a solution when his team needed that sense of urgency. His team wasn't ready to play, mm-hmm. and I, I'm, I'm just blown away. They, they just still don't have an accurate quarterback, and they don't have receivers that can bail out a quarterback who just go up and make a play. They don't even have a Jaden Hazelwood, a Bruce McCoy, somebody on the outside that you just say, go five-star, go, go make a play in traffic for me. Just just do yep. that right now because we got to move the chains. We can't have three and out, three and out, three and out. They don't even have that, and it's tough to watch. It really, really is. I hate to keep coming back to the money thing, but I can't help it. <laughs> I said all offseason – that I think AM has a championship window in 2023 and 2024. Just because when you acquire right. talent the way that it has, that's supposed to give you a chance. Talent acquisition is the name of the game. And I know I just said that with the most mm-hmm. Chicago accent possible, but just bear with me on that. Okay. Even this Yankee understands that it's all about talent acquisition. And if you don't have it, good luck. You're trailing. But if I'm an AM fan, I'm watching that game and I'm thinking to myself, what kind of championship coach loses that game in year five? I don't have an answer. Is a really funny part of that, isn't it? And not not in a situation like 2017 Clemson, where they're going on the road to Syracuse, and Kelly Bryant goes down in the first half of that game, and then you've got to kind of troubleshoot the second game. It's kind of a weird start. It's a Thursday night game, whatever. And a game like that, where there's no excuses. And I went back and I because I wanted to see, okay, Dabo didn't do that, Saban didn't do that, Lincoln Riley didn't do that, Kirby didn't do that. You could say maybe, oh, well, Kirby did that, you know, home against South Carolina. He's also sandwiched that between five consecutive top seven seasons. Yeah, after the national championship appearance, he sure did. <laughs> yeah, and he's also twenty-seven and two against the SEC East during that five-year stretch. Which right. Jimbo Fisher, as we know, we don't need to pull up the Kevin Sumlin comps to show you that his record is not twenty-seven and two against his own division. Granted, he's got a tougher division; it's still not even close. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could, if if you're, I'm, I'm trying to look at all the different ways that AM fans could possibly spin this because I want to be prepared for this because I know I'm just going to get pelted with this question this week. And if you're one of these people saying that, oh, you know, he's on the hot seat, whatever, 
No, he's still owed $86 million. They, they just are, extended him, buddy. <laughs> they are locked in this hell together. <laughs> $86 million after this year. You want the numbers? I got the numbers right here. I keep them literally on my desk because I never want to forget this. Pad on the Iowa football notebook of Jimbo Fisher's contract. I love this. You want to you pay Jimbo Fisher less than $50 million bucks to walk away? You're waiting until after 2026 to do that. And that's assuming that he doesn't actually achieve what he set out to and get another new contract. Because if he does, that guaranteed money is only going to go up. You want to wait to pay him, I don't know, like 39 million bucks. You're waiting until after the 2027 season. That's including this year. That's another six seasons. Good luck with that. I don't want to hear Jimbo Fisher hot seat talk. I want to talk about who Jimbo Fisher is and whether or not AM made the worst investment ever, because that's kind of where we're at right now, especially with the lack of development at the quarterback position, which is troubling. It really, really is. It'd be different if we were talking about like, you know, Urban Meyer has this one off against Iowa and Purdue, and it's an easy, easy guy to crap on, right? Like right. We, we can all admit that. Urban Meyer still has the best record against against Big Ten competition of any coach ever. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what the solution is. That's that's the issue. I don't know that this is just you put Max Johnson in, you hope that it works out. I still would have at least tried that in the second half after how bad it was going. Um AM just has zero offensive identity. Fine defense, um, okay, solid defense, not as good as last year, but not one that is nearly ready to carry AM to a New Year's Six Bowl or anything like that. If you're still a believer that Jimbo can get it done, just what what are you holding on to? I, I'm I'm legitimately curious. If you're going to bring up a national championship from nine years ago, if you're going to talk about a really a, a nice 2020 season. Hasn't had consecutive top 25 seasons since 2016. Sooner or later, we have to talk about why this has not worked out to this point because this can't be happening. And even the biggest AM supporters watched that play out yesterday and thought, this, this ain't sitting right. And they're in legitimate trouble against Miami. They're going to have to figure things out in a hurry or else this is going to get ugly. This has all the potential to be an ugly, ugly ending of the 2022 season. And again, that's not Jimbo Fisher getting fired. That's him firing his entire <laughs> Honey, staff. You wish Jimbo Fisher was getting not you, but that would be the best option. Um, yeah, I, I obviously had Miami beating AM because I thought all these things about AM. I didn't. And, I didn't. And, and, and now, now I, I might have to. Yeah. It's at this point, it's like, yeah, I, I will say this. You're talking about A Chain. You know what they look exactly like? You grew up with like you know, a little brother, like younger members of your family, you know, when you're like playing Madden with your little brother and you're like, you give them like the pro bowl team. That's like all 99s and you're playing with like the Browns, but like, they just don't know how to play the game. That is exactly what A&M looks like. Cause it's like H.A. It's like, when you get him in space, he might be a problem, but they don't know how to get him in space. And it's like, they have like a 99 Barry Sanders. That it's like, you're playing with your little cousin and he doesn't know how to run a screen pass. So you're just like, okay, I'm not worried about that. Uh, so you just, you know, stick a guy in man coverage because you know you're going to throw slants. And then on the other end, it's like, yeah, you look at App State who has one five-star. Like you said, didn't even play. Four-star, not even a five-star. Four oh, star. sorry. My bad. Yeah, four-star. Uh, don't want to yeah, give him a proper due. But, yeah, you look at their roster and it's just the opposite of that. It's just a bunch of guys. Like I said, it's like when you're playing with – like uh, an underrated NFL team and you're just like, you know how to get guys open because you know how to play the game. And it's just, I, I've, <laughs> I'm trying to be nice here because you're doing a really good job of painting, like, like painting this fairly. I, I feel like, you know, when all these recruits started choosing a and I just got not, I, it's like I put them in a, a black hole somewhere because it's like, well, in my mind, I was like, at least they didn't go to Bama. 
Like, because if you put those guys in Alabama, they would be all Americans. They would be like, they would look up like a better version of the high school versions of themselves here. It's like, okay, well, I actually feel like, you know, as a middling SEC fan, we have a shot every time we play him, which is like not how you should feel against a team that is like, has this national championship coach, has all these facilities, has more money than, you know, the GDP of some states. Like, that's not how we should be viewing this right now. I don't know. Everything comes back to Jimbo. And I get it. Mm -hmm. The coach can only do so much. That team came out listless. Oh yeah, totally listless, and that worries me. And the lack of the lack of urgency that A and M has at this point, not great, not great for what awaits this year. Mm-hmm. Okay, Bama against Texas. I'm amazed that we didn't feel the need to lead with this because <laughs> if you had asked me at three thirty or whatever it was when this game finished, I said, "Well, that's the story of the day in college football." I yeah. thought there was no way that Bama would find itself in a four-quarter game against Texas. I did not think that Alabama would need mm-hmm. two late scoring drives to be able to win that game. And boy, Alabama survived somehow, some way. Bryce Young saves the day with uh, the touchdown drive where he caps it off with touchdown to Gibbs, who was mm-hmm. phenomenal, in my opinion, Man, for most of the day. our boy Gibbs. How about well, how about that lad? He He's a, a different kind of player of weapon for this team and a weapon that they didn't have last year with all due respect to Brian Robinson, but Mm -hmm. that you see, you see kind of that, that presence. And even though he had that bad missed assignment on the pass block on the pass block where he didn't pick up the blitz, I I still think that his presence was very much felt in that game. And then to, to have Bama take the, take the, the lead with 15 seconds left on a field goal, you're just reminded that Bryce young, we, we talked about all the time. The poise is second to none for all the things that they did wrong in that game. What they did right was have Bryce Young on their team, and how yes. he escaped that one free rusher coming off the like just coming right at his face, and to be able to escape him and then escape and then scamper for a first down. Those are the reasons why you give him all the accolades. He is that good, and if you just look at the box score, you're like, ah, you know what? Really inefficient day, not very impressive. I thought this Texas defense was supposed to be terrible. Gary Patterson has them lads playing. Listen, three three five appreciator Gary Patterson. They brought him in the building, set the tone. That's all I'm gonna say. I didn't bring that up in the preview because hand up, I forgot. I totally forgot. I have spaced on the fact that Gary Patterson is no longer wearing purple and rocking a visor every single Saturday. He still doesn't even look right. You know mm-hmm. what? It just it, it's an awkward sight. But that Texas defense, man. They had their corners were all over those Bama receivers. They couldn't get any sort of separation. They were great on the interior. Um, I wrote about this for for SDS and about how Bama, despite how much we talked about them being worthy as the of being the number one team in the country coming into the year, whether or not they're going to be unanimous number one, they they have flaws. They they really mm-hmm. do, and this is a lot like last year. Yep, it felt like that. We brought up the stat all summer. Six times in SEC play, six of eight games were one score games in the fourth quarter. This was more of the same of that. They and could these are not, not usually not good teams. I just want to point that out. Like both of the Georgia games were shootouts. Those were not like nail biter games, really. They were in these one score games with like LSU, Auburn, yeah. Texas. Like these teams are different from that team. It's not, and it's also not just, oh, Bama. And I, I got into a little bit of a back and forth with Chris Vanini, the athletic, who does great work for him. But he's like, see, it's so much harder to play on the road. And I'm like, well, and, uh, pointing out that that because Bama hasn't played on a college campus, 
since 2011, which was something that we point out, which I think is like a, a fair thing to discuss. But what that point negates is the fact that Bama is 36 and five in true road games since it started playing these neutral site games back in 2012. And if you're pointing to, well, see, this is why Alabama is struggling. It finally has to play on the road. It's like, well, no, you just weren't paying attention to 2021. And you laughed at Saban when he said it was rebuilding year, even though they had all of these games, whether it was home or road, it didn't necessarily matter home against LSU where I didn't wake up and choose violence today. That was actually a compliment. No, that's listen. That was the high point, <laughs> right? But like they had all these games last year, where where you keep thinking to yourself, when is Bama going to put their foot on the gas? But when you can't consistently lean on that run game, there's not a whole lot you can do. There really isn't. I I just I w- I was I was surprised to see that Alabama offense struggle the way that it did. Jermaine Burton was MIA. He really was. And if shame on those who said Jermaine Burton was a better receiver than Cedric Tillman coming into the year, couldn't be me. Bama fans said that real human beings, real human beings who get paid to do this for a living said that. Yeah, they tried to watch those players. I'm not even being mean. I'm just like, how do you, what is he better? Anyway, I I, I don't know. And I don't mean to rip on the kid, but I think Georgia fans watched that game felt like this is why Jermaine Burton was a frustrating player at Georgia. This is why he had 27 catches for that team. Even with George Pickens out and all that opportunity there, he has these games where you're just wondering is is he injured? Is he on the field? What, what exactly is going on here? Speaking of injured, Bama needs Tyler Harrell healthy, the Louisville transfer, because they don't have anybody else that can stretch the field. That's the <laughs> biggest thing that's missing. Take away Jameson Williams, who obviously was a game changer, game breaker, and makes you defend them differently, much like Tyree Kill and the way that he he changes the defense and how teams can defend the Kansas City Chiefs when he was there. And now, of course, mm-hmm. he's going to take Tua to a Super Bowl this year. Or at least that's what I'm hearing from the PFF account. Um Tyler Harrell was one of my favorite offseason additions. And when he is able to come back and give a and have a full workload, I think it will help. But Bama, in the meantime, is really happy to have Jameer Gibbs. Mm-hmm. Not only did he have that huge touchdown late, he's Bama's best receiver right now. He's like the Taysom Hill memes. It's like wide receiver, coach, quarterback. <laughs> like I looked at the last time. I was like, that was Gibbs too. He does everything. What can't this guy do? Yeah, I, I I really do like him as as a fit in that offense. And and some of those things, like I said, I, I think getting Harold, I think getting a little bit healthier at receiver will help Bama's passing game, which everybody can say, oh, when we get right, we're going to be okay. But I really do think that will be the case for that passing game. Now, now hold on. We can't talk about injuries and not talk about Texas' starting quarterback being in this game I was gonna and get to probably that. winning going away. I, was I just want to be, if we're gonna, oh, they're not healthy. It's like, well, hold, they play okay. a backup QB. <laughs> okay, let's talk, about, let's talk about that. Okay. We are both officially all aboard the Quinn Ewers hype train, whatever you want to call it. Right. I, I'm there. I Look, I, he was my preseason Heisman, Heisman winner. I, I am a believer in the talent. I hope that everybody who watched that football game who has made a Tate Martell comparison said, oh boy, I was way wrong because for a quarter while he was on that football field, whew, <laughs> some of those throws, man, the poise that he had to be able to, even the one where he was coming, he was like fading back and it's 25 yards downfield and he knows he's going to take a hit. He knows mm-hmm. it's coming and he hangs, he hangs, he hangs. He doesn't turn his back. He keeps his shoulders squared and he's able to hit a guy like 25 yards downfield on the on kind of fading to, toward the left sideline. He makes some throws that you cannot teach. And Texas is in a much better place when he is on the football field. I was devastated to see him go down. I didn't think it was yeah. a dirty play. I don't know what in the world you expect Dallas Turner to do right. <laughs> on that. Uh, 
just stop tackling him. What? Like, that's not <laughs> use the force, works. Luke. <laughs> yeah, I, I hated that call. I hated that sequence that that played out because, and I'm not going to go all Colt McCoy sliding doors. We talked about that enough on college game day. We don't necessarily mm-hmm. need to get into that and how Texas actually couldn't stop the run in that game, and they probably still would not have come close to beating Alabama. Um, but I do think that is a different game if Quinn Ewers is on the field instead of an injured Hudson Card who did everything he possibly could. Mm-hmm. But yours, you you could tell he was starting to feel that confidence and they were starting to get behind that Bama secondary. And it just kind of makes you wonder, man. And Texas fans will hold on to that for a long time until they come to the mm-hmm. SEC. They're going to be like, well, we lost to, to Bama, but did we really? <laughs> the classic Dan Mullen almost beat Bama. Uh, yeah, I mean, we were talking about this at the time, dude. It's crazy how like the way their game plan was, a lot of it was built off of Bijan and a lot of their sets were like heavy. Like they had a lot of tight ends, fullbacks, like bigger dudes. And he was still like hitting the two or three wide receivers in patterns just in the numbers. And I understand that the game plan was to kind of use a little bit of trickeration off of play action. But the fact that him moving the ball down the field was not guys running wide open. It was literally him hitting guys in the numbers. And then, I mean, dude, those receivers freaks, dog. They're, they're like young, like that they don't know what they're doing with their bodies. But it's like they whenever they can get everything on the same page, yeah. it's scary. I'm we both thought their defense was going to be disastrous and we were wrong. Um, wrong. But yep. that offense is like, it's going to be exciting the next couple of years. I feel I was, um, I was really impressed with the game plan that Sark had in that first quarter. Who knows how Bama would have adjusted. That's, that's mm-hmm. the great unknown is, well, for all we know, te- Texas was about to to have a, a, you know, have a couple of, of bad turnovers. And you see on that play where in yours went down, he was, somehow able to avoid the sack attempt by Will Anderson. And then as mm-hmm. he's twisting, turning, pardon the pun, Dallas Turner brings him to the ground. <laughs> and you're reminded that, yeah, he probably would have had a few more instances like that in the afternoon. Although Will Anderson was out of sorts. Bama had 15 penalties in this game. 15. That is the most of any game in the Saban era. All, all of those. All 15 game in the first three quarters, too. Which, yep. Credit Alabama for being able to clean things up in the fourth quarter. Those are the adjustments that are made. Still, it was sloppy, and it felt like the officials missed a few. They got away with some face mask penalties. They got away with some DPI, and obviously the the Bryce Young safety, whatever the hell that was. Yeah, I I, I don't. I mean, I I guess they got it right because they say that that impacted the throw, him getting knocked. Why they why they called roughing and then incorrectly called it. That whole sequence was bizarre but it felt like bama dodged a bullet when they shouldn't have in that spot and bama was the the benefactor of definitely a couple of calls in some key spots but i love Will- the, uh, as a fan i love the whole like well this team's not getting screwed look they have more penalties it's like buddy they're playing like less organized yes they're they committing. have more penalties yeah they're committing penalties that's what we're bad about they're not calling all of the penalties but they're committing more you're correct yeah yeah when somebody <laughs> points out a foul discrepancy in college basketball i'm like okay that's because they're fouling more. Because they're fouling. Yes, you're right. You're yeah. actually making my point for me. Thank you. Anyway. One team is driving to the paint and forcing them into those tough spots. And credit that atmosphere in Texas, it looked second to none. Those people mm-hmm. out there just roasting, I'm melting away <laughs> with how hot it was. It was just, they don't call it burn orange for nothing. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That, that did not look like a fun game to be a spectator at. But seeing Will Anderson out of sorts was surprising. He had a, mm-hmm. a, a multiple neutral zone infractions. And he had this weird late hit on Bijan where it, it looks like he didn't 
understand that Bichon was down. And oh my, maybe that was, was Will Anderson. I was. did not think that. Wow. And that's I don't a know. Characteristic. Yeah, it, it was. I don't know if he he had a, a lapse and thought he was playing with NFL rules instead of college <laughs> rules because that's yeah. the only explanation that had. maybe he didn't see him go down. I don't know. Whatever it was, mm-hmm. it was just strange. Bama though has been playing with fire dating back to the start of last year. I mean, it really has. And and when you reach a national championship, it kind of covers that up. The SEC mm-hmm. championship and how dominant that was, that was an outlier game for Bama last year. It really was. If you kind of go back and look at the way that their games kind of played out, that game was one of the very few in which they said, whoa, we are clearly the better team and we're going to look like it for fourth for four quarters. This felt like the 2021 Iron Bowl all over again. It was mm-hmm. really similar. Super quiet offensively, late comeback, a team down to its backup on one leg, can't quite get it done. And Texas fans are going to continue to wonder <laughs> – what would have happened if when yours had stayed out there and been and been healthy? A, a bummer that he wasn't able to play. Um, but Bama found a way to win. Mm-hmm. Found a way to win and a weekend of craziness. You should not take wins for granted. Bryce Young in your corner, as long as he's healthy and out there for you, Bama's got an ace in a hole, unlike anybody in college football. That dude is clutch mm-hmm. in every possible way. And you can be frustrated with some of the decisions that he makes over the course of the game. And you could say, oh, you wish he ran more. He, you wish that he didn't expose himself, whatever the case. When it's winning time, he's ready. Oh, yeah. Every single time. Will, question for you. Okay. And this was discussed a lot. My, 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 my Georgia fans were, my Georgia friends were blowing me up about this. <laughs> Would you still put Bama at number one? I mean, I feel like, okay. Try to be fair and balanced here. I just, I don't know what else you want to see from Georgia at this point because they have rolled a ranked team, like a highly ranked team. And if we're going to give Florida all this credit and put them at 12, I don't know why beating a better Pac-12 team at a neutral site, which I understand was in Atlanta, but I just the way they absolutely dominated Oregon versus struggling with Texas to me feels like you should probably put them. Yeah, up there. different setting. And there's so and I, I I agree with you. Take it for what it is. I mean, it's week two rankings. Who in the grand scheme of things, it really yeah, does not matter. I mean, Oregon might be horrible. Texas might be probably will be ranked at the end of yeah. the year based on that game. At the midway point of last season, Iowa was the number two team in the country. So <laughs> don't convince yourself that rankings are that important it's just a discussion topic for people like us who sit here on a sunday morning and we're able to kind of break down the strengths and weaknesses of a team there's a chance that texas turns out to be an eight and four team which is kind of what what i was thinking coming into this year right. and instead of talking about well the more fresh identity with texas is that there were five and seven and they missed out on a bowl game because they could beat kansas now if they're kansas also, now on the come up let loss to kansas looks better by the day buddy lock of the week uh lock of the week was rough it was rough on saturday really bad for uh for, for that argument but so if texas is eight and four and if you're looking back on that that game at the end of the year and you're like oh well bama was a 20 point favorite yeah they were would they will they still be considered in that light at the end of the year compared to Texas. Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. We'll see how these things played out. We convinced ourselves last year that Florida losing really close to Bama early in the season was going to be like, wow, Florida, they're going to be competing in the SEC East. And then we know how that played out. I would put Georgia ahead of Bama right now. I don't think it matters all that much in the grand scheme of things, but I just think defending national champs looking the way that they have so far, I think that they have the case. And especially since Georgia beat Alabama in the national championship, that to me makes it a little bit different, even though I I was one of the people saying 
Bama should be number one to start the year. I do mm-hmm. think that a game like this kind of gives us a little bit of insight, but we're splitting hairs. Okay. Huge game in the swamp. Hold on. Can I, can I say something about this real quick uh, about the Bama game? So I, I said this to you and like, I feel like we just got to keep tabs on it because if you look, if you went back and you watch the two highlights and you watch the Mac Jones highlights, right? It's literally just them putting the ball near an elite wide receiver and that wide receiver just making three spin moves and like leaving dudes in their dust and scoring touchdowns. And like, I got a, like a promoted tweet the other day for like the Heisman, um, the Heisman competition in 19 where two was in there and all of his throws were literally just hitting these ridiculous wide receivers in stride and them just outrunning everyone. And you look at Bryce Young and the situation he's in, and I've said it over and over again, it's insane. It's an insane sense. I feel sorry for him when he plays football. And it is the, the craziest thing I've ever seen because he's probably the best quarterback we've ever seen in Alabama. <laughs> he has more, like, the total package of what he has is something that he's a little bit mobile. He has the arm strength. He has the versatility. He could throw from all these different platforms. He can hit guys at different angles. Either Alabama, like the recruiting services are being dishonest and overranking some of their weapons, or Bill O'Brien is like a legit bum. Because I don't understand how you have 15 years of number one classes, and yet you have a transfer from Georgia Tech, who is far and away your best player, like on offense, other than your Heisman winning quarterback. I don't understand how things look so easy for every Alabama quarterback. I remember watching Alabama and being like, these guys are wide open. This isn't even impressive. And I'm watching Bryce Young, and I'm like, this is the most impressive thing. Well, two, two things. I think – and I'm a Bill O'Brien defender. I, mm-hmm. I am. And I think guys like him a lot more than we do in the public, and he's got a very hateable face, and that leads to this perception of him. <laughs> I think Bama had more talent at receiver, more proven guys who were able to kind of get those reps early. And – when you see John Mechie be allowed to be the three because mm-hmm. he's waiting behind Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, and then by the time he gets to be the one, he's ready. Right. And instead, you're seeing this transition where even those four studs, you know, with along with with Ruggs and Judy, like they got a chance to to be all kind of second fiddle behind Calvin Ridley. And, right. But they still all got regular reps. And so when it was their turn, they're ready to go. I think a lot of these guys which I guess maybe you can make the case because Bama had Matchy, they had Williams. It's a similar situation. They might not have the upside. Mm-hmm. Sark was a mastermind at scheming receivers open. I mean, he just was. And they did things that were just insane to watch and they made it look so easy and it felt like an RPO slant was this glitch in Madden, yep. right? Where it was just an, a walk-in touchdown for Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith every time. I think that they're still working through that. Mm-hmm. I think they're still trying to find out who's actually going to be a game breaker at receiver because right now it has not emerged. I did not think Jermaine Burton was going to be that guy. Maybe Tyler Harrell will be that guy. Maybe we'll see better days from Trayshawn Holden. Maybe we'll see better days from Prentice. I, I don't know, but they don't have it right now. And it's, it's holding this team back. It, mm-hmm. it definitely is. It just feels like you need average receivers to be awesome with Bryce Young. And they just don't have that. I don't, I don't know how to better explain it, but anyway. Maybe, yeah. There, there's definitely something to be said for that. Okay, let's go to Kentucky and Florida. We got a lot still to get to. Um, oh yeah, I got a lot of things very wrong over the weekend. Very, very wrong. <laughs> Same gig. I, look, I already told you my lock of the week: West Virginia beating Kansas by two touchdowns. Uh, not only did that not happen, Kansas won that football game. So yeah. took a huge L on that one. I can't say that I saw the arrival of the Sun Belt Conference as the premier league in college football. Can't mm-hmm. say I saw that one coming. 
and I'll admit that I may or may not have, but definitely did predict that Mizzou would be Kansas State. And uh, we know that wasn't even close. But I got one thing right. Mm-hmm. Kentucky knocked off Florida on a night in which the Anthony Richardson hype train came to a screeching halt. Mm-hmm. I was worried for Florida that it wouldn't properly handle success. And I felt like we were putting way too high of expectations on a guy who had two starts to his name. And it's Mm -hmm. easy to forget that with how long we've been talking about Anthony Richardson and because of the amazing things that he can do with the football. There's no doubt about it. But Saturday night was exactly why Mark Stoops is one of the best coaches in the sport. And we made the argument about Mark Stoops versus Jimbo Fisher. You see why now. You see the vision. Exhibit A. His his team almost had, dare I say, too much disrespect heading into this one. It wasn't just the Roman Harper, the Roman Harper comments about being soft up front, which I I was telling you this before we came on. I was on uh, Sirius XM with Hester the other day, and I told Hester that Roman said that, and Hester was stunned. Hester was so stunned that he texted Roman in that moment, like, "You really said this?" And he's like, "Yep," and it made the rounds. And I don't know. The conspiracy theorist in me wants to say that Mark Stoops had him on retainer and he had him float that quote out there. Herbie kind of did a little bit of that as well because um, mm-hmm. he played it up on game days. Herbie did, went about it in a, in a little bit more of a sarcastic kind of fun way. But um, Kentucky had so much working in its favor. Getting Jordan right back was was huge. You saw him make his his presence felt on that interception. He's a difference maker in that front seven. They have dudes in that front seven. They absolutely do. But think about this. Kentucky, fresh off a 10-win season in which it beat Florida, a team that had a dumpster fire of a regular season last year. Mm-hmm. Kentucky gets preseason top 25 love for the first time since when? Jimmy Carter. You bet. Florida wins one game. It immediately vaults past Kentucky mm-hmm. in the rankings. And on top of that, they're a five-point favorite, five and a half, six, whatever that line turned out to be. Stoops was in his bag. This mm-hmm. was set up for him to have success. I loved what he and Brad White dialed up to confuse Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson wasn't used as a runner at all. And how much of that is because he took that early hit? How much of that was because Kentucky didn't turn its back in single coverage without a spy like Utah did? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Probably a little bit of both. I'm going to say something that I think Florida fans are going to get triggered by. So maybe earmuff this right now. Anthony Richardson had a Bo Nix line. 14 for 35. 143 yards through two picks. One of which was essentially just a repeat of the Nicobe Dean pick that he threw last year in Jacksonville. Missed read, boom, walk in pick six. That can't happen. The obvious takeaway is going to be that there was too much buzz surrounding Richardson, which I, I, I totally get. Mm-hmm. And this is a reminder of why you do not call other human beings Cameron Newton. You just don't. That's a fact. Miss me with that. I don't want to hear it for KJ Jefferson. I don't want to hear it for any black quarterback that is having success because that's what everybody does. It's the laziest freaking thing in the world. Let's stop. There's there's two flavors of media bias. If you're good and you're white, you're Joe Burrow. If you're good and you're black, you're Cam Newton. And there's no nuance whatsoever. It's just like this is the next this guy. It's like, come on, bro. It's Look, awful. Be respectful here. Like. It's awful. And, and I love watching Anthony Richardson play football. And I want Anthony Richardson to make all the viral plays and have all the success in the world because our jobs would be so much more fun if he did. Mm-hmm. It would. I think Kentucky came in pissed off. I really do. 21 NFL scouts in attendance, and they showed they showed that there are ways to defend Anthony Richardson. 
there are. And there were probably a lot of scouts who left very disappointed at the lack of touch that Richardson had. Everything's a fastball. Everything's at the same speed. McShay did a great job of pointing mm-hmm. that out. Everything is on the line. Not everything needs to be on the line. You can't. You need your guys to be able to make plays in those spots. Even that slant where I can't remember who it was that had the coverage, but it was a it was a big fourth down play kind of in their own territory late in the game where it was kind of had to have it, and there was just no touch on that pass. Mm-hmm. Napier was desperate to try and get Richardson going with the quick hitters, but nothing worked. On a night in which Kentucky did not have Chris Rodriguez, I loved what Rich Gangarello did by leaning on that ground game a ton in the second half, and he didn't worry Mm -hmm. that they had negative rushing guards in the first quarter. Instead of turning it over to Levis to throw the ball 40 times a game, and look, I don't think Will Levis was brilliant. The throw to Dane Key was ridiculously good. The catch Mm -hmm. was even better. I mean, that's why Kentucky fans were so fired up about him. But they trusted that Cavassier Smoke would get going and that Kentucky would start to take over against the Florida defensive line who looked like it was a week removed from playing that physical Utah team. That's what we talked about. I think for Florida, get used to a herky-jerky year one with Billy Napier. Napier Mm. is still learning Richardson. Richardson is still learning Napier. I don't know that this team can beat quality competition unless Richardson is being the best possible version of himself. I don't know that they can win with him playing a B-minus game. Uh, at least against quality mm-hmm. competition. Kentucky is indeed quality competition. They're a top 15 team. There's no doubt in my mind. This is no longer some gimme on the schedule like it was for the 31 years before 2018 happened. Kentucky won three out of the last five matchups against Florida, and it won against Florida in consecutive years for the first time since when, Will? Jimmy Carter. Boom. Mark Stoops passes Bear Bryant on the Kentucky all-time wins list. That win will rank very high on his favorite for a lot of those reasons, talking about the disrespect. And if you saw the video, I can't remember which Kentucky player tweeted out the IG live, which you know I'm not a fan of in the locker room. I think those <laughs> moments should be private. But mm-hmm. you heard Mark Stoops have some expletives laced around that soft association that his team was tagged with. I don't think Mark Stoops would be upset about that getting out either. <laughs> Mark Stoops was just sitting there, eyes facing you. T- we talked about how there should be a camera on Jameer Gibbs every time he sees a three-man front. You know, he's going to be running against drop eight coverage. Yep. I want that every single time we get Mark Stoops and having his team disrespected. That's, right. that's what we need, just a camera on him. Um, but it was... It was a very impressive performance by Kentucky in that environment. I, I don't know that I, I I suddenly find myself saying that Kentucky is about to go eleven and one. They're about to beat Georgia. I'm not. I'm not going to get all the way at adoring levels of Kentucky love, <laughs> um, especially if they don't get better with their special teams, which were an absolute disaster. Oh my gosh, that was really bad. They gave away six points essentially, and if they had lost that game, it would have been entirely because their special teams let them down. But this defense looks like 2018. Mm-hmm. It does. They fly around, man. They are really, really physical. That 2018 team had our favorite neighbor, Terry Wilson, but they didn't have an offense with this kind of capabilities. Mm-hmm. And that's only going to grow once C-Rod returns. The fact that they're sitting in this spot 2-0, having just one in the swamp without him is huge. Who knows when they're going to return, but the emergence of Dane Key, the guy that Kentucky fans are just giddy about, is huge. And I, I just think that that as Levis continues to grow and you get more out of him, and as long as you can cut down some of those mistakes, which that is easier said than done. We were reminded of that watching this game. I think Kentucky has 
New Year's Six Bowl potential. This this team has that to, to be able to potentially go nine and three. I don't think that's off the table at all. Will, any other takeaways from this one? Yeah, I, I just wanted to say I personally challenged myself and us to like fairly call this Florida season. And I think that, and you know, you look at it and be like, oh, you guys are wrong. About, okay, but here's the thing. The reasons why Florida lost this game are exactly why we were not fired up about the Utah game. And Florida did a great job beating Utah. I'm not taking that away from them. Yes, nobody but, can take that away. Right. That was a very impressive performance. It was. But what, what we said leading up to that game, what we said since that game is that one of like for expectations, it's almost a bad thing to be the Utah team like that because this is exactly the issues that we talked about all offseason with just not having enough dudes. They were just out of dudes in this game. As soon as Kentucky started leaning on them and like imposing their will through the running game, yep. like you said, in the first quarter, looked awesome for Florida. Looked like, oh, these guys can't find separation. Like this is these Florida guys are athletes, like they're higher recruits. Like they'll just be pushing these guys around all day. And then the game went on. And Mark Stoops' favorite phrase in the world is, and then the game went on <laughs> as the guys start bleeding, sweating, getting all the, you know, getting it all mucked up down there. That's when he starts to win. And you talked about the miscues on special teams. Like this game actually could have been way worse for Florida. Um, but I think that neither, you know, they're not Florida is not as bad as this game, and they're not as good as Utah. This is a team that we've added one win because of Utah, but number 12 is a little bit wild, right? I think that they're probably not number 12, but by the end of the year, they'll probably be at, I think, a ranked team. So you you got a little bit of a taste of it. You fell off the face of a cliff. And to your point, I think Anthony Richardson is the difference. I think that he plays an A-level game against Utah. I think, like you said, he played maybe a C-level game today. Stat line makes it look a lot worse than it was. If you watched him out there, he looked lost some of the time, not, not as bad as this, but I, I just think that he's a guy that, has the potential to be so explosive but like you said just start number three so no reason to panic they're going to be just fine over there in Gainesville better days are ahead they're going to get back on track against USF they badly need <laughs> that's they, another incredible phrase USF is coming to town yeah, they, they need a game in which they can give the starters a little bit of a breather because after two physical games like that man that was that there, there might not be a team in college football that had to start off the way that they mm-hmm. did with the physicality that both of those teams that they played had. And that is that is not easy, especially when we're talking about early September games being played in the state of Florida. That takes a <laughs> lot out of you. I think Florida will bounce back, but Kentucky, credit to them for being able to go into the swamp and win a game that a lot of people said they had no chance to. Tennessee and Pitt, battle ranked teams. East is going to be fun this year. It's going to be really fun. I was a huge fan of the way that Tennessee won this game. Fall behind by 10. They had a bad first quarter and three good other quarters. I was shocked, Connor. And that's what I loved more than anything else. It wasn't Tennessee gets up 17 to nothing and then they let Pitt (laughs) kind of come back in the game. I I could have seen that game playing out that way. But instead, Tennessee had to figure out its offense when it wasn't clicking early. Mm -hmm. Didn't really have the offense clicking late in regulation either and had to get defensive stops, but they didn't panic. Hendon Hooker settled in. He just started targeting Tillman and Hyatt everywhere. Tillman got 18 targets in this game. 18. He's so I'm good. I'm sorry. This Cedric Tillman. And to be to be clear, earlier when I was talking about Burton, I was more talking about Tillman. Cedric Tillman, nine receptions for 162 yards. <laughs> he had a drop in the ends into a ball that I don't know if you would if you would call it a drop. It, it hit him in the helmet. There was a lot of contact by the DB. It was a no call. But it yeah. was it easily could have turned it into what a two hundred yard day. He was he's everywhere, and that that yeah. adjustment that he made on the ball in overtime. When we talk all off season about why it's so important for these guys to get chemistry, the core, mm-hmm. the QB one with the first team reps, 
That was an adjustment on the football. And he comes back, and instead of going to the back of the end zone trying to make that play, he cuts that route off, and he sees – and he gave me a spot. And if Pitt is going to play all that man coverage, which they were willing to do, they were willing to say, we think we got dudes on the outside. We think we can get get after Hennon Hooker, which they did to a certain extent. But those receivers feasted for for and some key moments in that game. But in addition to that, and why, why I was really impressed with Tennessee and why I think they're different than they are last year, at least in the early going, they were excellent defensively. Mm-hmm. They had 26 pressures. That is the most they've had in a game in 10 seasons. I was watching SEC final and Dari had that stat. And I was like, man, you know what? That actually makes sense. It felt like they really did get after Keaton Slovis. And then uh, when they had to, to bring in Nick Patty, who came in after the Tyler Barron, the Tyler Barron hit knocked out Slovis. It felt like they were getting after him left and right. And I get it. He's banged up. It was a little bit of a similar situation to what we saw Texas have to deal with against Alabama. But nonetheless, I still thought that Tennessee was getting that good push up front. And they they bounced back after it looked like Pitt was ready to roll. That that tight end hurdle, Bartholomew, the Pitt tight end, <laughs> whoo, hurdle yep. of the year so far of, of the young season. And it looks like you're kind of wondering, who is this Tennessee team going to be? I think last year's team loses that game. I really do. I, I do. That was the fewest points Tennessee scored in a win during the Hypel era. 34 oh points. Isn't that crazy? Points. Yeah. The, the, the fewest previously was the opener last year against Bowling Green. It was 38. That was even with the case with, with the touchdown in overtime, too. So they had 27 in regulation. One other thing, and we we're, we're talking about this. I continue to be really impressed with Brew McCoy. Oh, yeah. I like him a lot. He is so good at hauling in passes near the sideline and having the body control needed to win a battle on the outside or to be able to kind of fight for those extra yards after the catch. Hooker had that dime to him where he he gets kind of, I don't want to say bodied because that's not the right way, but college rules, he steps out of balance, but he was forced out by the defender. He made an attempt to come back inbounds and is able to make that catch. And it's mm-hmm. a touchdown, and Narduzzi was just losing his freaking mind over that play. <laughs> what do they make this rule? Yeah. He's just holding a physical rule booklet point again. Show me the rule. <laughs> he's arguing that he, that that he wasn't forced out when it's like, nah, it's pretty physical, but you could probably make the case that he started too close to the sideline anyways. I see what he's trying to make, and that's the only case that you have to make. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. Bruce McCoy's a football player. He yeah. really is. Tennessee has three legit stud wideouts. Even Jalen Hyatt had double-digit catches in this game. I mean, they are they are really, really fun to watch. And when their ground game gets swallowed up like it did because you knew that that's what they were going to try and take away, they were going to be comfortable putting those receivers or those corners, I should say, out on islands. That's That, that was the pit defensive game plan. Tennessee still found ways to be able to score. Win on a day where you fall behind on the road. Win where you really don't have that ground game. You don't have the balance that you like. Win against a top 25 foe who would love to put you in your place. You can close your eyes and see what Pat Narduzzi would have said about that point spread after that game of Pitt had won. You, you know what he would have been, what he would have been talking about, how fired up he would have been. He would have had a nice little troll, nice little jab. I bet the Pitt official account on Twitter had a tweet ready to go, trolling Tennessee. You know that was just sitting there in the drafts and they didn't get to use that because Tennessee's growing up a little bit. Between Tennessee and Kentucky, I think there are three East teams that are legit worthy of that top 15 status. And I'm I'm ready to see this kind of play out. And I'm I, I find myself buying Tennessee bleeding orange more and more with each game. 
It's a scary thing. Yeah, this is exactly Very what scary. we needed to see. <laughs> this is exactly what we needed to see out of Tennessee. This is about – I'm about to sound so stupid. You're about to make fun of me. But, like, I guess, like, mentally – like, when those teams that are kind of that triangle all play each other, for some reason I just, like, assume it's a it's a, a neutral site game. I don't know why. Like, there are it's so many stadium. stadiums. Yeah, it's a pro stadium. Up? Yeah, it's a pro right. stadium. That's yeah, why. like, that. it was at Heinz Field, but it's yeah. like there are so many stadiums over there. It's always, like, some weird series they're playing up there, whatever. And I saw Tennessee go down, and I saw, like, the pit crowd. I was like – uh oh, <laughs> they were ready. <laughs> I yeah. was like, I might not have called this incorrectly, but yeah, it's like as stupid as it is, dude. There's one of those things. It's like trends are stupid sometimes, but they are what they are. And with them, like we needed to see them rally back and like get into a um an adjustment period. The thing we always make fun of Jimbo about Hypo is kind of in the same boat where it's like he needs to be able to adjust. And boy, did he have to adjust in this game. And the fact that they had so many options that they were able to go to, this has got to be pretty close to the best receiving court in the SEC. I'm not really ready to say it yet, but who would you say is, who's up there? I mean, it depends because if we're just talking wide receivers and if we're not including tight ends. Then <laughs> we're talking wide receivers here, Connor. Right, right. Well, well, because, I mean, if you want to make the case pass catchers, then you have to include Georgia in that conversation. Right. Yeah, with yeah, what yeah, those yeah, 100%. That's why I bring that up. But LSU was my was my team early in the year. And if Keishon Booty is right, then, of course, we think they have a lot of expectations. We don't want to put too much into a game against Southern. But, man, I, I, I was wondering how good Hyatt would look. And I was wondering how good McCoy would look. I, that, we knew how good Tilbert was going to look. We knew, the we fact knew that Tilbert looked this good and those two other dudes are eating is so insane. They, I, I, I'm, I'm going to continue to say this. McCoy on the outside helps them so much. And that's mm-hmm. not to say that every single game he's going to make his presence felt. He might have a game or two in which he's invisible. But that that takes this this passing offense to a level that I don't think it was at last year. I really do, mm-hmm. and that's why I, I I mean they're they're on the short list. They definitely are. There's there's no doubt in my mind. This is one of the biggest Tennessee wins I can remember, and that's not being that's not hyperbole. Seriously, it's Pat Narduzzi who's been around forever, physical coach that would normally wilt a hypo team. That they won just the ACC last year. They're a good team, right? Exactly, like just bangs into you. Like you talk about uh, Betacanda or however his name is pronounced. That dude had an all time day, and obviously the quarterback is hurt. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not gonna give. I'm not gonna give credit to like Texas and be like, oh, they played with a back quarterback and not do the same thing to Pitt. I understand that. But Narduzzi is like dreams of a back against the wall situation where it's like, they don't believe in you. Your quarterback's hurt. So anyway, great win by Tennessee. It was. Let's do one thing I liked for the rest of the games. And remember, we're not talking FCS games here. Uh, Let's start with South Carolina against Arkansas. Arkansas wins this football game. One thing I liked, I shouldn't say like, that's too light of a word. I love me some Rocket Sanders. Mm Mm-hmm. Dominique Johnson was all bang the drum team guy. Still like Dominique Johnson. He's a load to bring down. And when he gets back healthy, I think he'll have a role in this offense. But Rocket Sanders has totally taken advantage of getting an extra an extra few carries per game. And maybe not even extra few. I mean, he's had 20 plus carries in both games so far this year. He is a nightmare to take down with that downhill style. We really saw him kind of break out in that game against Texas last year. He's still kind of being going to be in a little bit more of a split backfield role. But I want to see that guy continue to get more carries. They showed a graphic on the broadcast that he and KJ, you're going to love this. Well, mm-hmm. they show this graphic that he and KJ Jefferson are the heaviest quarterback running back duo in the country. That's oh yeah. Let's go buddy. Yes. The fact that both of them also love contact. They operate in this up-tempo scheme. It's just unfair. Arkansas won this game exactly how you'd expect them to win it. They leaned heavily on those two guys. Bryles got Malik Hornsby involved. Jaden Hazelwood got involved in the ground game. By the way, Jaden Hazelwood, this is what all the kids are saying. It's got some dog in him. 
He's got, got some dog, dog in, him. in him. He does. He really, I love the way that he kind of pops up after he's been jawing with a defender or something like that. And he'll, I don't know that it's so much taunting, but he's just like plays physical <laughs> through the whistle, which you yeah. never know with receivers. I think there are some guys who I don't want to use the S word and talk about being soft again. Jaden Hazelwood ain't soft. Mm-hmm. He definitely ain't soft. He is very, very physical. Did not know that he kind of had that gear to him, but at least so far he's had that nastiness about him. But I just love that that Rocket Sanders is going to be a, a bigger fixture of this offense. I think that's absolutely possible. I don't know that he's going to have some 250 carry season. He's not about to get Tyler Beatty levels of work or anything like that. You would want to be able to keep those backs fresh with the, the tempo that they like to play at. But when you when you watch a defensive front against Arkansas in the fourth quarter, you see them and they, they don't want to tackle KJ and Rocket anymore. They don't. I don't blame them. KJ I would not and Rocket. It sounds like two video game characters. It sounds like a Nickelodeon sitcom. <laughs> yeah. Okay. See what KJ and Rocket get into up next. 8, 7 Central. 500 pounds of mass just right in your face. Enjoy oh, Lord. They come in. <laughs> uh, it, it, from the South Carolina side, they have issues in the trenches on both sides of the ball, and, and they need to improve in those areas if they're going to get to eight wins. I don't necessarily think that Sanders benefited strictly because of that, but I also didn't think that Juice Wells was was getting going. Was all I, like I didn't think that. Okay, so what's what's a nice way to say this? I didn't think that Rocket Sanders only benefited because South Carolina has a ways to go in the trenches, and I also thought that Juice Wells got going not just as a byproduct of the Arkansas secondary being being up banged up. I said that right. I think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that connection was 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 good for South Carolina. But if they, if they can't protect Spencer Radler, that's an issue. And this game plan that Marcus Satterfield had, they they knew they were going to try and take take those shots downfield. But it's still going to be a little bit of a rough go if you're worrying about how you're able to to keep him healthy to utilize the best aspect of his game, which is the downfield ball. Um, so I'd be worried about that a little bit if I'm if I'm South Carolina, but just give me more Rocket Sanders. I need more Rocket Sanders in my life. He's the truth. Arkansas fans, they, I, I, he, I don't want to say that he's up there with KJ in terms of favorite players, but he is quickly rising, mm-hmm. very much rising in the ranks. Okay, let's do uh, very quickly. Let's sit on Mizzou and Kansas State. The one thing I liked, uh, a lightning delay gave me a break from watching the Mizzou offense. Correct. Sorry. Zoo fans, you know I'm right. That was a brutal showing in Manhattan. This offense is in trouble. Big trouble. Mizzou fans have kind of reached their limit watching the horizontal action of this offense and the lack of downfield <laughs> concepts. It's a little bit too Gus Malzani, and I realize that Drink being a Gus Malzahn disciple kind of forces you to think about that angle, but it, it it's rough. Brady Cook struggled. I don't know if you can put it all on him if they aren't going to let him even attempt these downfield chances. You get all this talent in the door at receiver, and then you're, you know, they they have what I think three, at least between Burden, Mookie Cooper, and then they have, I think they have one other four star that I'm forgetting. And I realize Burden's a five star, but they have a few blue chip recruits on the outside, mm-hmm. and they're still not necessarily willing to take those chances. It's very clear watching Mizzou play offense why Drink wasn't able to sell a quarterback in the transfer portal. Well, excluding Jack Abraham, who came into this game and threw two picks on three attempts. But the problem with this Mizzou offense, unlike the 
previous two years is there's not a Tyler Beatty or a Larry Roundtree to turn to, at least not yet. Yeah. And we'll wait and see if Cody Schrader can kind of be um, be the, the face of this offense, which he might have to be, or if Nate Pete, the Stanford transfer, is going to have to do that. The problem that Mizzou fans keep running into is that Drink still has control of the offense, and he doesn't yeah. have an offensive coordinator. Coaches deal with this, and they go back and forth all the time. When do I need to be able to relinquish control? When should I have somebody else come in and call plays? At what point does it have to get to – where I'm able to take a look in the mirror and say, yes, just because my offensive mind and my ability to scheme got me to this point doesn't mean that it's what's going to work for me moving forward. And mm-hmm. I think if Drink is anything short of significantly better this year, I can all but promise you that he will be forking over play calling duties after this season. One to keep in mind, if and when Scott Frost gets fired at Nebraska and his staff is gone, Mark Whipple would be an interesting candidate to call plays for Mizzou. Mm-hmm. Keep keep that keep that one in mind. I kind of I'm intrigued by that. I know I've also thrown out the possibility of Drink going to Nebraska, but if if they have some five and seven or four and eight season at Mizzou, there's no way that they're going to take him at Nebraska. I just don't think that's the case. Um, but keep that one in mind. I, I look I look at Mizzou with this frustrating offense that only schemed two touches for Luther Burden in this one, and I wonder how they're going to be against all of these East defenses that we, I feel like we've talked about today being better than what we were originally saying coming into the preseason. That to me is, is really daunting. And this is why Mizzou was considered the unanimous sixth place team in the East. It was bad. It was really bad. Ugh. Just wanted to say really quick, all this does is make me appreciate what Gary Pinkle did there. I mean, that was one of those jobs that like they tried the Barry Odom thing, which is the guy who'd been there forever and like defensive guy that obviously didn't work. They tried like the young hotshot OC and, and um, Coach Drink. And I'm not out on Coach Drink at all, but I'm just saying the fact that Pinkle was able to consistently make that in like a top 15 ish team is pretty wild. Looking back, and if you take him out, they haven't had a coach with a winning record since 84. Uh, or like a, a yeah, above 500 winning record. So just want to say we underappreciate Gary Pinkle. That's all Probably I mean. It seemed, seemed like a turnkey job at the time. It's like, no, they have a lot of obstacles to actually get over. And we're seeing that now. Yeah, they had him on the broadcast in that first game against Louisiana Tech. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are a lot of Mizzou fans. Well, maybe not in the midst of the Louisiana Tech game because it was a little bit rough offensively for, for a bit there, but they still were able to kind of figure things out against the Louisiana Tech team. It's probably going to be really bad. Year one mm-hmm. with Sonny Cumbie. Um I, I think the frustration is is very high. It's very high. When you get smacked like that, if Mizzou had lost that game like they lost against Boston College last year, our <laughs> takeaway after that game was they have a very clear weakness. They can't defend the run. Right. By the way, the, the over on the rushing – for Kansas State, I set the over under at 228 yards, and they hit. I think they hit it by eight yards. It was like 236 yards that they ran for in this game. Go. So that was pretty close. Um, but it's it's not just that. It's 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 this offense. This mm-hmm. offense is is just maddening to watch from a scheming standpoint. And Luther Burden can't have two touches in a football game. Just can't. They scheme for him way better in the first game than they did this game. And Drink has some major adjustments to make moving forward. I don't know that even switching a quarterback is going to be the answer or waiting for Sam Horn to gain enough weight and learn the scheme to be able to play the position. I don't know if that's the answer. Mizzou fans are kind of holding out hope that that's the case. We'll wait and see about that. Okay, one thing I like from San Jose State against Auburn. Please find one. (laughs) 
I'm going to, I'm going to give Brian Harson a little credit here. Uh, I like that Robbie Ashford stayed a part of the game plan. Here's what there I mean we go. <laughs> this was not a game to write home about for Brian Harson, And you could hear the murmurs from wherever you were watching college football Saturday about what if he loses this game to San Jose state, which uh, for a little bit there, that was, uh, that was, that was up in the air. If he had lost to a San Jose state, to a San Jose state team that doesn't even have Nick Starkle anymore. Sunday on the Plains would have been ooh, rough, real, real rough. The list of candidates to replace Brian Harson that, that would have gotten fired up. Somebody would have. That would have been a topic of conversation that we'd probably be having on this podcast, but that doesn't happen. I will say it was encouraging to see Harson keep Ashford as part of the game plan after the early pick on a ball that he underthrew over the middle. He had a nice 30-yard run later. He actually finished as Auburn's leading rusher in that game. They were talking about this on the broadcast, and this is something I haven't picked up on as much. And I'm sure people that are that are closer to the team that kind of have been able to see some snippets of practice have picked up on this. Ashford is really critical of himself, can take himself out of a game for making a mistake, that mm-hmm. type of self-critical. And that's kind of surprising for someone with a baseball background because you can't be that guy in baseball. Mm-hmm. You're going to fail more times than you succeed. You move on to the next thing. I do think that no matter what Auburn does at quarterback the rest of the way, it's pretty clear that Ashford's involvement is going to be a thing. Played 26 snaps in the first game, got in on the second series, the second game. I think the quarterback situation still feels unsettled, though. And that's that's the issue. My question is how bad must Zach Calzada be in practice to not get any looks yet? Gosh, I you know whatever the answer, whatever they need at the quarterback, I can almost promise you Zach Kelsa is not that big. Sorry, I just kind of forgot he was on this team for a second because I'm just like, all right, you got to remove this roadblock. They have a second roadblock. Just I waiting s- on the bench. I still think Zach Kelsa's day was probably a net positive for all those people that said eight and four a And M last year was just because Zach Kelsa couldn't do anything. Right. Still a net positive because this is kind of confirmation. Oh, what's the common denominator here? It's not Zach Kelsa. That much we know, not at all. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was, it's still pretty rough for this offense. And you were hoping that they were going to figure things out in this game. And maybe we'll, we'll play the results. Maybe there was a little bit of a vanilla game plan because obviously you got Penn State coming to town next week. That defense mm-hmm. was really good. But I think that Harson kind of trusts the Finley Ashford combo and maybe for better or for worse. Who knows? All right, let's yeah, run through. I'm, I'm so disinterested about this Auburn team. Sorry, I just wear the same boat. It's just like, dude, if you're going to be bad, at least be fun bad. <laughs> Even that. Anyway. Well, Ashford is, and that's why we talk about Ashford, because he's the Yeah, because he's fun. Element. Like, It's yeah. like, please, please, just be, if you're committed to not winning like 10 games, just play the fun guy, please. Because yeah. it's Give fun. Us, like, well, who cares? Let let him make a, a million mistakes, whatever. Right. Maybe, maybe you can't do that, but at least you feel like this is your quarterback of the future, and he's going to do some amazing things, and you can be... Six and six, seven and five, and still have a lot of fun doing it. Gotta right. sell that hopium. Gotta sell that hopium. <laughs> it's a dangerous drug, my friend. <laughs> okay, Wake Forest and Vandy. The one thing I like, uh, Vandy didn't kill the suspense by hitting the over on 2.5 wins. How boring would that have been? <laughs> <laughs> if we couldn't talk about Vandy's over under for the rest of the season, we get to talk about it every single week now. Is this going to oh, be yes. the week? And Looking at the schedule, um, <laughs> lots of weeks coming up. As I always say, nobody gets out of DeKalb, Illinois, and survives. 
Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> sure. As you often say, yeah. That's that's what they're, hey, they're going to Northern Illinois next week. Um, that, that's gonna be a tough game. But I, I liked AJ Swan in this game, the true freshman quarterback. He replaced an ineffective Mike Wright, who had a big time come back to earth type game after 10 <laughs> touchdowns in his first two games. I don't think you're turning the offense over to AJ Swan. I, know, I was reading the Tennessee and about this. They're like, ah, is there a quarterback battle? Eh, no, I against blitzes or normal pressure. He's probably going to get killed. Mm-hmm. Also, Mike Wright is a captain. Take that for what it is. I Clark Lee is the type of coach that maybe puts a little bit too much into that and mm-hmm. preaches like it. That's a massive deal. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. We'll we'll wait and see kind of how that plays out. Seems like you would have to like rip, physically rip the captain thing. There'd be like a ceremony and be like, you're no longer the captain. <laughs> yeah. Like he just totally overdoes it. Like, all right, we, we get it. You, you're, one, you're one of the six representatives of the team. Take take that for what it is. But he's Mike Wright still led you to two high-powered offensive showing. So I think he's still going to be the quarterback. The good news is that Vandy looks like it has a quarterback of the future in Swan who already passed Ken Seals on the depth chart former true freshman starter at Mandy. I do think Swan will eventually be the starter, but I'm also not going to bail on right just yet. I think if it's the personnel better, even if it didn't look like it, I still don't have Vandy winning an ICC game, but maybe that'll change if Mizzou continues to struggle. Who knows? Hey, <laughs> upside for Vandy. You're headed in a different direction than Mizzou. So that's good. We get to debate every single week, whether or not <laughs> they're going to hit the over. That's, that's a fun discussion to be able to have. You can mm-hmm. that would, oh god I'm just thinking about how bad that would be for drink that'd be really bad you can't be the first power five team to lose to Vandy in the 2020s you just can't mm-hmm. said it before I'll say it again <laughs> all right let's close out with uh with Mississippi State Arizona mm-hmm. um the one thing I liked besides the fact that this game ended at what like 2:50 a.m. Eastern time and I stayed up for all of it no big deal. I was going to say, this is a first time for the podcast because I was asleep and you were awake. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, we work hard. It's mid-season form right now. No big deal. Mm-hmm. The one thing I liked was MSU's pass defense is much improved. Much improved. It was a liability last year. So far, so good. They had three picks in this game, and it should have been four. Emmanuel Forbes couldn't get his heel down on a nice play in the end zone. He still ends up getting a pick later in the game. Um, I, I always talk about how... Like what? What do we think Mississippi State, from a defensive standpoint, is actually going to be capable of with Leach? He's had one top thirty defense in his entire time as a head coach, and it happened seventeen years ago. Does that <laughs> limit the the upside of this group? But this group looks ready. I talked about coming into this how Cowing and Delora were they, they had this nice connection against San Diego State, and that was not the case on Saturday night against Mississippi State. Delora mm. looked like he never faced three three five. He didn't respect it like we do. Listen, you got to respect the three through five. That's step one. All right. You have to. And the irony being that he just beat up San Diego State, which is where Zach Garnett, of course, came from. Mm -hmm. Um, If you haven't watched Mississippi State's defense yet, do it. And just watch Mississippi State in general. And I I guarantee you, you will think to yourself, huh, that team is probably tougher than I gave them credit for. They are always in the right spots defensively. And I keep coming back to that stat of 17 guys on their two deep defensively. This is year three for them in that mm-hmm. system. And it shows they fly to the football. They don't have this hesitation. Tyrus wheat is so good off the edge. They've got some ball hawking DBs. I know it was only Arizona. And if we had last year's context and not last week's content context, we would probably be having a different conversation about this team, but I continue to say that people are sleeping on Zach Arnett's defense 
just because we are so used to the lackluster leech defense. That's the way that it really works with any team that operates in that air raid and not playing complimentary football and all that. Um, I tried to focus this weekend on who has an identity and who doesn't. Mississippi State has an identity. I don't think AM does. I know Arkansas does. Yeah. Arkansas's identity is beat the heck out of you. <laughs> the they know the end result. They're not exactly sure how they're going to get there, but they'll get there. They'll, they'll get there, and you're not going to enjoy it in the fourth quarter. Right. You're, you're never going to. Um, I think South Carolina is a team that's kind of struggling with its identity right now, especially offensively. Mississippi State just might be that team in the West that just kind of gives everybody a headache. And I, it's tough to say that they're going to, I'm not saying that they're going to sit here and compete for a West title or something like that, but they are just going to be a brutal team to play against for 60 minutes in a different way that I think Tennessee will be that in the East. I think Mississippi state will be that in the West and they're just, they're, they're very different in what they do and they're a tough team to prepare for. And then you kind of get out there with them and you're like, Oh, just go away. Just go away. <laughs> so I was I was very impressed with how convincingly they were able to take care of Arizona in a game all the way across the country. They kept bringing that up on the broadcast. Like, yes, you see, never travels. They never go anywhere, do anything. It's like, yeah, they came in Arizona and pretty much took them to the woodshed in that game. It wasn't That's the new spins that we're going with, right? It's like every couple of years, it's like, oh, Saban can't beat a mobile quarterback. Oh, the SEC doesn't do this. Like, okay, dude. Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I listen. If you've ever, if you're looking for somebody who's screamed at their television, why won't Mississippi State go away? You're talking to that person. Very true. Very true. <laughs> they just simply won't. I think I'm going to that game next weekend. I was going to say Tiger Stadium. Gonna I was going to say, how do you feel as as an LSU fan going into that game against Mississippi State? Because that was the one that I I said in in the preseason. I think Mississippi State goes in Death Valley, wins that football game guys on off the bench not t-bob and, and hester but guys who were hosting off the bench that day like just <laughs> laughed in my face for saying yeah. that they're like that won't happen and then just moved on to the next subject I was like, <laughs> okay cool thanks, uh, thanks for listening we'll, we'll get into we'll get into it in the preview episode but not feeling great we'll start there <laughs> fair fair uh we'll have a lot to get to in the preview episode um got a fun interview very much a household name coming up that we're expected to have on this week might might set up another interview with the person I've been wanting to have on for a while. We'll wait and see about that. Um, if you have not, leave us a five star review. Subscribe. Join the Facebook group. Hear you said any takeaways, but Notre Dame being sorry, and that's the point you skipped. Oh, ah, my bad. Notre my Dame bad. lost, and they my were bad. talking about how Marcus Freeman was better than Brian Kelly, and they lost to Marshall, and they've never had a coach start off 0-3, and now they do. So all these people sitting around talking, oh, they got all these 10-win seasons under Brian Kelly. Anybody can win 10 games at Notre Dame. Well, they're going to have to win out to do that. So <laughs> I'm just glad that we don't have to have the Notre Dame playoff discussion at the end. Oh, of it's over with, buddy. Done. Sorry, I just after watching all these fans make fun of LSU for the last eight months because they took their coach, which I've never seen before. Ha! <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was a rough day for the Marcus Freeman is going to take Notre Dame to a different level. But again, that's my vow is not to overreact to the year one coaches. It's not so overreact. Couldn't be me. Every day, living by the seat of my pants. Hey, if Philly wins big next week, he's back on top. Top 15. Yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> of course. Overreacting was saying that Marcus Freeman, a first-time head coach, was worthy of having the number five team in the country coming into the season. That right, was overreacting. That's, that's overreacting. Yeah. Same thing with Jimbo. Overreacting, thinking that in years five or six, he's going to figure it out. Sorry, I mean. 
It's just reacting at this point. Right, this point just reality we live in. Anyway, what were you saying about this? No, I was I was just going to ask you if you were, if there were any other takeaways besides Notre Dame being sorry. Uh, any other takeaways that we had in college football? Wisconsin uh, still a, a maddening football team to watch based on the egg that they laid at Washington State, which I'm sure roughly six people listening to this actually watch that game. Maybe unless you had gambling intentions <laughs> or something like that. Um, but I think that it was it was setback Saturday for a lot of programs. Whole lot of programs that were feeling themselves after week one had a a very tough dose of reality in week two. At least it, it, even Georgia, like we didn't, I know we didn't talk about because it it's an FCS <laughs> team. Like even you know even Georgia didn't necessarily have this game in which they're like, oh my god, we put up fifty points in the first half and it was it was just unbelievable showing. It's Samford. So listen, if we learned one thing from last year, you don't count out Samford ever. Also, also, yeah, I mean, listen, this game made me very pro cake, very pro uh, cupcake, as some would say, because, you know, LSU played a hard game week one and they lost this week. Easy game. It was a great week. So do not (laughs) do not take cake off the table. Listen, when when life gives you cake, (laughs) when life gives you cake, just eat it. Don't complain. Don't complain. There's just too much frosting. Yeah. Don't don't tell me about all those sprinkles then and how they went a little crazy. No, no, no. eat your cake, enjoy your cake week whenever it comes, because this week was a reminder that not all wins are are guaranteed. They're just not. They're absolutely not. You and know, when you're an AD hard. and you're wondering why do these ads and then they end up scheduling Cincinnati if they're if they're uh, <laughs> Notre Dame's AD and they end up being like a top five team, they end up scheduling App State and they're like this dragon beater. You know, sometimes it's cool to just play your local FCS college and just keep the money in the state. That's all I was. Saying. Yes. One last thing on that subject. Um, my brother, they were they were watching uh, Kentucky in Florida, and then he texted me. Uh, that night, like he had already like gone to bed or they were doing other things, or whatever it was. He's like, what happened with Nebraska? Like, how, like, how did they lose this time? <laughs> and all I had to say was it went exactly how you thought it went. That's it. That's all you need to know. Scott Frost, just furious, red face, biceps ripping out of his shirt. We got to play better, sir. You're like six and 13. We just couldn't get a stop. That's what he said we after the game. We gave up 700 yards of offense to the YMCA. But next week, I promise we'll get it figured out. <laughs> If you're feeling bad on this college football Saturday, college football Sunday, actually, we're recording this. Um, just be thankful that you're not Nebraska. Just life can always be worse. Can always be way, way worse. Okay. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe. Will, you were pounding the table. You were totally yes. just doing that. Sorry, I missed <laughs> that. Um, join the Facebook group. Your name right on air with figuring out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. <laughs>